0: Find it absolutely phenomenal what people can do, and then either you know, they report back to me. And I, I beat my PB in this time, and I've now entered this race, and I'm thinking of doing that, and it just shows what you kind of can do, and you know, we all need a little bit of support at times.
1: This is the Adventure Sports Podcast where we talk to athletes, adventurers, and business owners from around the world of Adventure Sports. Whether you're climbing Mount Everest. Before I knew better, I used to carry cans of food into the backcountry like a doofus. Uh, Obviously, I don't do that anymore. I use freeze-dried food, and I really only use peak refuel, Uh, the best backpacking food, the best freeze-dried food in the world. And uh, if you keep listening to the episode, I can show you how to save 20% off an order if you want some. Oh, what's up, everybody? Hope you're having a good week so far. Uh, Today is a revisited episode day. That's what Thursdays are all about. And um, yeah, Kurt is interviewing Anna Marie Watson. She's been on the show a few times, but this is from a few years ago. Uh, Great episode. I hope you enjoy. Um, But I did want to give you an update on how the show is doing. Uh, We're we're on track to have our best month ever as far as listenership. So. Thank you for that. That is really exciting. We're going we're gonna to have our best year in 2019. We're going to have the best guests, uh, the most interesting conversations, and our, our biggest listenership of all time. And we need your help to continue that, so please share the show. Tell your friends about it. We always want to make the show better. So, uh, t- patrons have priority to, to developing the show in the sense of giving uh, advice or direction or something they want to hear. I will go out and get that. Um, but if you have general feedback, feel free to just let us know. You can give us a call 812 mail pod, like voicemail. Um, or you can send an email info at adventure And as always enjoyed this episode and have a great, great Thursday. All right.
2: Hello friends, Kurt here. Today I have returning guest Anna Marie Watson. Anna Marie is just a remarkable lady. She uh, spent 10 years in the British military and after leaving the British military she decided that she wanted to have a a more exciting existence than just your standard nine-to-five life. So she biked New Zealand, she ran the Everest Marathon, she ran the Marathon to Sobs, she was in the World Half Ironman competition, and then from all of these endurance activities, she realized that she had a lot to offer people who wanted to achieve big things, so she started a coaching business, which is Reach for More Coaching, which can be found at rfmcoaching.com. So if you are at home and you'd like to look at the pictures while we talk about this, you could go to rfmcoaching.com. But this year, Anna-Marie did a lot of other things, including running the Ultra Trail de Mont Blanc and placing as uh, seventh female, right?
0: Yes, that's right. Hi, Kurt. Thanks so much. (laughs) It's great to be back on the show and have the chance to share my kind of crazy adventures over the last kind of 10, yeah, 10 months in the lead up to the UTMB and the Half Marathon de Saab as well. It's been quite a journey.
2: Yeah, so I wanted to uh, give everyone a kind of a preview of what's going to happen here. We're going to spend a lot of time talking about the Alta Trail to Mont Blanc because we haven't had a detailed account of that race from anybody yet on the Adventure Sports Podcast. But we also want to get into what's been happening with the whole Marathon de Saab scene. So you took first place in the Half Marathon de Saab's and Fuerteventura, that wasn't even a thing until this year, right?
0: No, it's a brand new sparkling event on the ultra running scene, which is really exciting. The Marathon de Saab have basically decided to kind of expand their reach with the growth of ultra running and go to lots more kind of interesting places and design, you know, amazing races that showcase some beautiful places. There's actually another event, um, which is Starting today, um, the twenty seventh of November in Peru, which is another marathon de Saab. It's the same distance as the one in Morocco. So it's the same format, 250 kilometers, um, six stages over seven days. Um, and I'm really quite excited about following it online and on and on various kind of social medias. And I've got a couple of friends who are doing it as well. So I'm kind of looking forward to hearing how it goes. And you never know, it might be on the the list for next year or maybe 2019 or 2020 you never know so many races so little time
2: you mentioned it was 250 kilometers over seven days but it's in six stages and the way that that translates to english is more or less you run about a marathon a day for five days and a double marathon one day and that's how they get to 250 kilometers and you're self-supported
0: and and the thing is with those distances That can kind of seem quite daunting, which is why they've also decided to introduce this half version, which was the one I was lucky to be invited to go out and take part in Fort Aventura. So maybe if the full version just is a little bit too much to kind of plunge into, this is like a gentle introduction, so to speak. Though, don't get me wrong, it still is pretty tough. Um, It's all self-supported. The temperatures were, you know, high 30s. And the terrain in Fort Aventura, which is basically a volcanic island um, as part of the Canary Islands of Spain, it's absolutely beautiful. So you literally go from bona fide sand dunes to this black, really sharp, pointy volcanic lava. There's some stunning routes they took us along by the sea. So you've got that contrast of kind of the desert reaching the sea, which is um, quite unusual. And, the, you know, the camaraderie as well around the Marathon de Sabe, it was a, it was an amazing feel.
2: Hmm. And high 30s Celsius. Let's see if I can do this. We were just talking about before we hit record, how fun <laughs> it is to do these conversions. So high thirties, that would be, so what you do is you double it, take off a little bit and add 32, Anna Marie. And so that yeah. becomes around a hundred degrees, 90 something degrees. Um, that sounds like, yeah, that's about right. And we'll get Google to help out with that. But that is, those are really, really challenging conditions. And then you throw in the desert sands on top of that, and the terrain, the difficulty. What do you think the biggest challenge is? Is it the temperature, the terrain, running in sand? What do you think is makes it the hardest?
0: There there was definitely times when it was it was the heat. There was one day which was the long day where the temperature. just seemed to skyrocket and the route that they took was was through this valley where there was absolutely no breeze at all so the air was just hanging there and it felt as if you were wading through treacle and I remember coming the the route went underneath the road there was like a culvert that you had to go through and there was one of the, the runners who had been ahead of me he was sat down by the side and I was, you know, are you, are you okay? And um, he was a Spanish guy. He spoke to me in English. And I was, you know, a bit concerned just to make sure that he had everything he needed. And he was like, no, no, it's too hot. It's too hot for running. And it's okay. So there's a Spanish, a local guy from the island saying that it's too hot for running. <laughs> it's definitely too hot for running.
2: <laughs> yeah, I get it. So 30 becomes 86. So 30s is 90-ish, and, and that's plenty hot. It can be even hotter than that in the morocco version right
0: it can yes it can climb to the mid 40s has it been 50s i'm not sure um yeah it, it is it's it's you know try to acclimatize as much as possible and i do seem to be able to cope with the heat relatively well compared to others i don't know whether this links back to the fact that i lived in the middle east for a period of time a few years ago and even now i i love going to bikram yoga and I find that that really supports my training from an endurance and strength perspective. Um, I took my husband actually to a Bikram yoga session. It must have been about two weeks ago. And this is the second time he has been and accompanied me. The last time was in 2012. So you can tell that it's not quite his cup of tea and it's taken me a while to persuade him back. And I think you can read into that what you will.
2: Well. It's an amazing thing to me. When I, I We've had several guests that have talked about the Marathon Desab. Saab, and, you know, I, I would kind of like to be able to say it's the Everest of ultra running. But I have to hesitate, because while it would be most people's Everest in ultra running, we've had other guests who have run, like, the Continental Divide Trail or the Pacific Crest Trail, yeah. or, or, you know, they've done the 3,000-mile distances in some amazing times. And so I can't quite say that you know the marathon de Sa is the everest, but I don't know what to call it. It is so big, so challenging it, with such tough conditions um wow it it's maybe we could call it the Granddaddy. How about that?
0: <laughs> I quite like the um the quote that Saran finds um coined. he did the event back in twenty fifteen as well, and he's you know an absolutely notorious explorer and He called it more hellish than hell, (laughs) (laughs) which I thought was quite funny. And I was reading his book, Heats and he was asked by a reporter what was his favorite part of the race. And he basically said, the finish line, it meant that I could turn and give two fingers to the camels. So (laughs) just just to put that in context, they have basically a couple of camels sweeping the race. So if you get caught by the camels, then you're pretty much – it's a little bit dodgy. You might be getting timed out, so you want to be keeping ahead of the camels. And there are some people who literally call themselves the camel club, and they will just be in front of the camels the entire way.
2: Oh, Uh, That's funny. (laughs) (laughs) And the camels make such funny noises, and they don't have any trouble – going those distances on that sand. So, you know, I (laughs) can they just want to laugh at you, right? That's horrible. (laughs) I never I did I have never heard that the camels were pursuing everyone. That that adds a a different angle on the whole thing. (laughs) (laughs) Congratulations on the half marathon de sob first place female. That is awesome.
0: Mm, yeah it was I have to admit half marathon de sob. Um, I know we've delved kind of straight into chatting about it. It was never my priority for this season. Um, I was lucky to be invited by WAA, who are a French endurance company who have been supporting me for the last couple of years. Um, WAA stands for What an Adventure. So it does align quite nicely with, um, I don't know, my ethos and philosophy about life and work and everything in general. And um, so they were the main partner with MDS and they produced an amazing kit that is basically prototyped for the marathon descent. So they invited some of the war athletes out from all over the world. So we had a team and there was people from um, Singapore, Hong Kong, um, which was great to be a part of that experience as well. And um, though it all was a little bit last minute, and I'm kind of coining this because. It basically came three weeks after the um, UTMB, which we'll clearly get on to talking about in a minute. And for me to have two races that close together, um, it probably wasn't the most sensible decision I've ever made. Though sometimes you kind of have to take your sensible head off and just kind of have a go. So I didn't know how I was going to fare at all. From finishing the UTMB, which was the beginning of September, to the half marathon Basabe, which was kind of towards the end, I had literally run ten kilometers, which is what six six miles. So I knew I, for the first week after the UTMB, I couldn't even look at my trainers.
2: Just,
0: (laughs) you know, just going for a walk was, you know, beyond. And I basically ate everything that in sight. and then also carrying the weight for the half marathon, the sub. Even that, you know, because you are self-sufficient, you're having to carry your food. So I, my pack was, I think, was it seven, six and a half? It was, it was the minimum it, that it it could be. I very much go super light with everything. And I'd gone to the stage of, you know, taking all my food out of its original packaging. And like my Cliff Bars, for example, I'd wrapped in cling film my rehy rations i kind of put into other bags because it makes it pack easier and actually that's slightly lighter um so i wasn't quite sure how my body was going to react a running but then b running with my rucksack um so very much i was on the start line on the first day which is absolutely beautiful we we're on this beach um and it was right okay how are the legs gonna cope and the roots as well <laughs> you don't know what the root is you get given the root card um, basically at the beginning of the day, and I remember looking at the route card and going, Oh, Patrick Bauer, who's the, um, basically the guy who created the concept of the marathon, des Sables um, back in the seventies. And, you know, he's very much still involved in the organization now, and he's renowned for being a little bit, I don't know, cheeky, a little bit sneaky in his route design. He definitely wants to test the competitors, shall we say. So looking at the route, I was just like, okay so within the first two kilometers you know first mile it's just it's uphill and it's uphill for you know two three miles Mm. okay let's see how it goes but luckily my legs they seem to shake off they seem to wake up got back into a stride of things and yeah that's just kind of plodded on really yeah
2: well that's cool and i've often wondered that too when you do a, a bigger event then how much recovery do you need before you can do another big event and uh i think that so many ultra runners have proven that our bodies just adapt to what we force them to do <laughs> whether that's good or not it's amazing what the human body is capable of which you have proven by doing the events mm. that you've done it's just it's just mind-blowing to me so you know why don't we talk just briefly about getting into ultra running for those that are are like, you know, I might be interested in that. And then we'll dive into your wonderful story about the ultra trail, uh, to Mount Blanc. So for starters, if someone wants to get into distance running, how should they do that?
0: Oh, that's a good question. And I'm sure that everybody would have like a different answer. Um, I, I would recommend, you know, maybe going in if you if you're doing like a half marathon, a marathon and kind of building into it. Um, for me, my first 50K was the Dead Sea Ultra in Jordan. It was all downhill. And I picked that one specifically. I knew I could do a marathon and I reckoned that I could then do the extra little bit to get to 50K because it was all downhill, even if I had to kind of like roll and walk. Um, so it, it is kind of a mindset thing. And I think in recent years, because more and people, are, more and more people are going long, there's a lot more races out there, um, that are ultras and there is such a wide variety as well. Um, I know that some people seem to do like, you know, 50, 100 Ks around a four or 800 meter track, which just sounds horrific Ooh. or on like a kilometer <laughs> course, which I just, I mean, that's a massive mental challenge and you know, hats off if that's your thing. Um, then, you know, you can get some more kind of trail-based ones, road-based ones, um, or then you kind of go extreme environments, be it mountains, jungles, deserts, or whatever. So just just kind of pick an environment or pick some, a race or something that kind of interests you. If, you know, I, I love running on my own, I can be quite antisocial, so I'm kind of quite happy just going off and doing it. But if you're someone who wants to kind of do it more kind of part of a group, then you know hunt out a running club or kind of go to like a smaller low key one and and there's you know there's such a range out there this i mean the utmb is is absolutely massive There was over two and a half thousand people stood on the start line which in itself is quite overwhelming but then i've done some more local ones which are just so friendly and you maybe get like 50 people lining up mm. so there's a complete and utter range and yeah just go and try it
2: Well, it sounds delightful. The other aspect of this that I'm picking up on is all the wonderful places that it's taken you to. Jordan, Mm. Morocco, uh, Fuerte de Ventura. I have a hard time saying that. That's almost it. Um, (laughs) And potentially Peru now, right?
0: You never know. You never know.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But it's just really neat that uh, when you get into something like this, it can take you to amazing locations around the world. It can be adventure travel on top of the adventure of the run itself. So what a, I just, what a really neat thing. Really, really cool.
0: And And that's what I try and encourage people to kind of think about is, okay, so, you know, where is maybe somewhere in the world that you've always wanted to go to? And, you know, there's a lot of companies out there that do offer it as a package. So then if you're on your own and you you may be a little bit kind of concerned about traveling, you can go as a group. And actually, the, the traveling is that group. You get to know people so well when you're kind of living and racing together for like a week. And it can be kind of quite if you've not kind of camped before, it's all a little bit different. It's all a bit new. But people are so willing to kind of provide support. And share. One of one of the guys um, who came over from kind of one of the guys came over from Hong Kong or one of the girls came over from Singapore. They'd never done a multi day before, and we had a Facebook group like set up before we went within WIA, and we were giving them advice about you know what kit to get, what training to do. So you know people are always on hand and to give advice. And you know if any of your listeners want to kind of get in touch, I'm always kind of happy to share my experiences. Though you know everyone is very different. I always caveat what I say. You know just because this has worked for me doesn't mean that it's necessarily kind of going to work for you it is it's about a journey it's about kind of discovering yourself and it goes into kind of you know what nutrition you how, how, what's your training load like and you know kind of coming back to the training for example and in a way that links to kind of doing your first ultra sometimes people when I talk to them about how much running I do within my training program it's actually quite you know small the volume is quite low I do quite a lot of them um, cycling and swimming and yoga whereas some other runners will literally run six or seven days a week. though if I did that, my body would just complain, um, and I find that cross-training is a lot gentler on my body.
2: Hmm. Interesting. Well, I left off the list when we were listing places, uh, Nepal. You did the marathon, um, the Everest marathon, I, I guess. So describe this event to us.
0: Oh, it's absolutely, absolutely stunning. Um I went with my father. He's um a runner. He's always kind of been into running, and I I I partly blame my um passion on him, shall we say. He was an absolute phenomenal fell runner and also on the road he did the um London marathon and sneaked in under three hours, which is always a respectable time for um a marathon runner. And we both went and did the Everest Marathon in two thousand and seven. And it involves um, quite a bit of tracking beforehand. So you can acclimatize because when you start up at Everest base camp, you're basically at just over 5,000 meters. I'm I'm sure you can do the math in um, feet and starting at that altitude, you know, you have to have spent time to get used to it. So what they do is you actually walk the route and then you basically run it and, I just remember going down these massive, big glacial valleys completely on my own. And it's just the size of the mountains over there. If you've not been to Nepal, it's just something else. Um, you, I don't know, I just feel kind of almost so significant and so small. And it just puts everything into kind of perspective. Um there's a, there's a few events in Nepal actually now, and one of my friends has just gone and done one, um, with a company called Impact Marathons, and they kind of link, um, races to doing some work with local communities as well, which I think is a really interesting crossover when you can go and, you know, can travel, you can see different parts of the world, you can also, you know, help a local community, um, by, you know, giving your time, and then you can go and do a race as well. So I, I do find it quite interesting the way that companies are kind of bringing all of this together um, to provide different opportunities and challenges for people.
2: So you were starting there around sixteen thousand feet. That is up there. Sixteen thousand.
1: Yeah, <laughs>
0: it was it was it was so cold as well. I remember I actually started running in my down jacket, which because I, I, it was still dark, it was it was absolutely freezing. Mm. Um, and I was just like, I'm not taking my down jacket off. It's this big kind of heavyweight puffer jacket. Um, and it was it was still dark. And I can remember the sun kind of just coming up. And the first bit of the route is over this boulder field. So you, 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 you're running in inverted commas, you know, picking your way through it. And then once you get kind of down a little bit, though, you kind of may think, oh, so you're starting at you know, over a space camp and you finish it in Ampshire Bazaar. Ah, it must be all downhill. It's like, No. There's a few lumps, shall we say, and Sonasa Hill will be forever ingrained on my mind for just being oh, lead legs. And because you're so high up as well, you're trying to gasp for breath and just there's nothing there. Um, but finishing that finish line, you kind of see the all the blue tin roofs of Namshi and kind of come into view. And then the last section is actually a bit of an out and back, probably for about four miles um so what that means is when you're kind of going out you see everyone who you basically spent two weeks tracking with and everyone is just kind of cheering each other along and giving each other a little bit of support um and then at the end the the kind of the, the celebration party as well there's definitely a, a few beers over an odd game of pool uh with a bit of music and a bit of dancing which was always good fun
2: <laughs> what amazing life experiences isn't that really cool it's not just about the distances you're putting in. It's about the people you meet along the way, the places that you go. And I love the aspect that you brought up that organizations now are starting to do uh, humanitarian type projects as a part of these races. I think that is a, a brilliant idea. Very, very cool. Mm.
0: Yeah. And no, I was following um, one of my friends, um, King in- Ingleby on um, Twitter and Instagram and there was pictures of her um, doing some rebuilding, because clearly, after the earthquake, Nepal is still in desperate need of support. And it really needs visitors as well. The tourist industry is absolutely key for it, um, from an economic perspective. And there are some amazing trail races. There's one on my radar at the moment, I have to admit, which is the Mustang Trail Race, which is up in the northwest of Nepal. It's... It's a little bit off the beaten track. I mean, people have generally heard of, you know, the Annapurna Circuit in the Everest region,
1: but right. Mustang is
0: still that little bit of a secret place, so I shouldn't really be talking about it. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: no one keep, heard keep that. Keep it secret. <laughs> so, yeah, like I said at the beginning of the episode, I used to carry cans of food into the backcountry, and uh, I know there's... lot lighter things to do but uh, there's just a lot of options that aren't good for you or either too heavy Um, and that's why I really do uh, use Peak Refuel now. Um, uh, They're a new backpacking food company and I say backpacking food really it's just uh, freeze-dried food that you can use for anything. I've actually eaten it for dinner before with my family uh, because it's real food. It's not it does not taste like backpacking food or hunting food or something that you're only going to eat in the backcountry. It's it's delicious, high uh, in protein, uh, nutritious. It is going to refuel you. It is filling huge portions, and I really encourage you all to give it a shot. At least try it out, uh, and that is peakrefuel.com, and if you want to get 20% off an order, uh, use the code ASP20, and that's capital asp and then 2-0. Now, back to the episode.
2: I think it's time that we dive into the Ultra Trail de Mont Blanc. And uh, this is kind of the, the neat, how should we say this, the saga of Anna Marie Watson. So when you uh, started doing your ultra distance running, you did the half version of this race. That was back in 2008. And then... This year's race in 2017, you did the full version and it gave you the opportunity to say, Okay, what have I accomplished right in these nine years? And so, share that story with us,
0: yeah. So, the CCC, um, which is the it stands for the Kumaya Shompex Shamani, which is basically the half version we'll call it of the UTMB. Um, so just sorry to give your kind of listeners some context, so the UTMB um it first started in 2003 and that was the main race the utmb and there was about 700 people who did it and the following year 2004 it doubled in size um and it just basically kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger um so then rather than just having like one race the utmb um they then kind of branched off and had a series of races so it's making it, you know, more accessible for people to come through because the UTMB, and we're, we're going to be delving into the maths a bit here again, um, is 104 miles. So that's 167.5 kilometers um, and 10,500 meters. So the route to be fair does, it varies a little bit each year depending on the route conditions. And um, though it does largely follow the, um, ultra Trail de mont blanc there's a trekking route that goes around it um and it generally takes the average hiker between seven to ten days um depending on how you kind of slip it up split it up though there are kind of little alternate routes as well um if you're doing kind of the full um utmb route the kind of the winners are doing it in kind of just over 20 hours The majority of people will probably take between like 30 and 45 hours, just to kind of give you a bit of an idea of the distance and the time scale involved. Um, so it, it is immense. It's within the ultra running community. I know we've talked about the MDS and that's known as almost, you know, the toughest in inverted commas multistage race. And then the UTMB is like, you know, the premier. One day, hundred miler mountain race. Um, actually, that's probably a little bit controversial within the American, um, world. Cause I know you've got some phenomenal races over there. Um, though I do think that kind of racing within the, in the European Alps and the, the ascent and the descent in particular make it, um, that that's where the challenge lies. It's not necessarily the distance, it's the ascent and the descents.
2: I think the distance counts, too, there, (laughs) Anna-Marie. 104 (laughs) miles? Wow. And so that is 34,449 verts, vertical feet, that you cover in this race. So that's like doing... Well, I mean, think about this. We just talked about Everest Base Camp and starting that race around 16,000. So even if you do from Base Camp to the top of Everest and back again, right then you would have to do that, what, three and a half or three? I don't know. My math isn't great today, but you get my <laughs> point. This is like doing Everest over and over and over again without going to 29,000 feet, granted. But still, it's like doing that much elevation in one day.
0: Mm. And, and it's, this is the, the key to the race. Um, is, and, and this is what I very much brought, took into consideration during my training. It's not the distance that you need to worry about. And I'm, I'm not, I kind of not, I'm not saying that kind of a little bit passe. It's the the ascent and the descent. So when you're training, you want to be doing as much ascent and descent as possible to to strengthen your legs because it's the descent. It's your, basically your quads that are going to give up on you. So. My training program, which my coach, Danny, um, Danny Moore from Moore Performance, he's actually based in Sydney. But I've been working with him for oh three, four years now. He he knows me well and keeps me on track very well. Um, So, you know, we were designing my training program. And, you know, I live in England. There's not many massive mountains in England. So I've got a hill kind of a half an hour away from me that I would drive to. And I think from top to bottom, it was maybe 120 metres, up and down and up and down and up and down. On a weekend, I'd maybe drive to South Wales, which was maybe a two, two and a half hour drive, and do um, Pennyfan. Or I was in North Wales, I went up to Snowdon. And Snowdon's, you know, the highest mountain in Wales. Um, And that's probably the... you know from a vertical as- ascent and descent it's one of the biggest that you can kind of get and the and the condition of the paths is kind of similar to what you get in the alps as well um i am actually really lucky and my family has an apartment in chamonix which is where the race starts mm. um and this is partly why the race means so much to me um as your listeners have probably well aware i've been really lucky in being able to travel and part of that is because I've lived in the Middle East. I've lived in Australia. I traveled with the army. And um, I've only actually lived in the UK this time for a couple of years. So for me, Chamonix has been my home for 17 years. So it is where I'd go for Christmas, for New Year. I actually got married out there in 2012 to my husband, Ben. So it has a lot of really happy family memories. And I've spent a lot of summers there. I've done a lot of hiking running and this was even before the UTMB started so you know UTMB started in 2003 I'd been going there since 2000 and um, so I'd kind of almost seen the growth of the race I a bit like the Marathon de Saab there's been two big races that I've always thought wow Marathon de Saab UTMB back in 2000 I never thought I had the mental or the physical capacity to even get around either of them. Um, so it has been a really, really, really long journey kind of leading up to the, um, to the event. And in my build up training for this, just bringing it back, sorry, to my preparation for the race, I was lucky to be able to fly out for a weekend, um, and do parts of the route, which I think if you're, if you want to do well on a race, Um, it's really important to go and recce it, to get to know the trail, to get to know some of the ascents and the descents, and just to kind of get a feel of the lay of the land. Um, physically, yes, you're doing some amazing training, but mentally as well, it really helps with the visualization of the race. And I remember when I was actually racing, there was one section that I'd done hill reps on. I must've gone up and down that hill seven times. So I knew it. And that, in a way, gives me a bit of a confidence. It gives me a bit of a lift, a bit of a buzz that, you know, I know this, right. Let's just, let's just kind of almost switch into automatic mode and just go for it.
2: You know, I've noticed that when I have a long drive to make, the first time I make it, it's very long. But if you do it four or five times, then over time it seems quicker and quicker and quicker because it's so familiar. And so Ooh. when you go back to the trail that you know really well, it probably doesn't feel quite so dawning. Right. It's like, oh, I can, yeah. I can, I can do this. Right.
0: Yeah. And I, and I know that corner and I know that tree and I know there's a building coming up. And actually, it's only going to take me about ooh, half an hour to get down to the next checkpoint, which I know where where the checkpoint is. And, my, you know, my support team is going to be waiting there for me. Brilliant. I can get a hot drink and then off we go again.
2: Mm. Well, you ran the half version of the Ultra Trail de Mont Blanc back in 2008 and this was uh, more when you were kind of testing the waters as an ultra runner.
0: Mm, I, think, I, think, I think running is almost a bit generous. I kind of, I, I kind of limped, struggled, crawled, <laughs> got around. <laughs> well, it's a
2: beautiful benchmark because we can compare that to your performance this year. But tell us about 2008 first.
0: So 2008 um, again. I was stood on the start line with my dad, um, which was another, you know, great experience to be able to share it with him. Um, It was so Everest had been 2007, and then the CCC was the summer after. Though his his fitness for the CCC just wasn't where it had been for the Everest Marathon. And we, we stuck together for the first 40K, and he was, he was finding it really quite tough going. And it got to that crux point where I knew that if I pushed on, I could get to the next checkpoint within the time available. Though so if we both continued at the pace that we were going, we were both going to get timed out. Mm. So it was kind of a bit of a, Nye. right, this is the situation.
2: <laughs> right
0: is it okay to kind of push on? Um, and you know, he kindly was like, look, just go for it. Um, which is always quite hard when you're, I don't know if you're racing with a friend and one's, you know, doing, you know, feeling really strong and the other one's struggling. How do you kind of balance that? And do you almost have that conversation before you go into the race? So, you know what the expectations are. Um, that's, yeah, that's a, you know, everyone will kind of come to their own conclusion. Um, about that and you know i do speak to some people and they kind of they stay together for the entire time and you know they pull each other through um i i do like running i as i kind of mentioned before i'm quite antisocial i quite like getting into my pace um and i I don't know something about just being out and alone and particularly when there's the two times of day i really enjoy being out which are when it's kind of getting dusky and then in the early morning as well, when the kind of the sun's coming up and you've got through that witching hour at night where generally the hallucinations start at
2: some point. <laughs> um, so what kinds of hallucinations have you had on these runs? I have to ask that. I, They're the funniest stories when people share them.
0: It's just so random. Uh, <laughs> there's a couple that kind of spring to mind. During the CCC, there was... I don't know, in, in, in America, do you have like the Michelin man? Like a big kind of Right. Puffy kind of Michelin man, all white, kind of fat, bouncy. Yep. And the, the I was
2: tired running
0: that Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was running down the hill and I swear there was just like a crowd of them, and they kept like the you know, the trees like bend over and they were kind of like bending over and trying to grab me. So that was a <laughs> bit random. Yeah. Um, and then I had another one where I was doing an event in the UK, a ultra along the Jurassic coast, which is in South England. It's the equivalent of three marathons back to back. And I must have been in about the last half an hour. And I was running with this guy, actually. And I was we're just I was kind of just beginning to really quite lose it. And I was like, are there hyenas running along the beach behind us? <laughs> He's like... No, I was like, "Are you sure? I'm, I'm, I'm sure they're they're just kind of keeping a pace with us, and I can see their kind of tongues lolling." It's like, no, just keep running. I'm like, okay, yeah.
2: <laughs> wow. Um, so, do the do the hallucinations stop when the sun comes up, and you get that burst of the new day, that new energy that comes with the sun? Do the hallucinations go away then?
0: Yes, yes, they do. I've not, yeah, I've not had them. It's only been at night.
2: You know, the reason I'm asking is, it. I don't know that it's exhaustion that causes that so much as running in your sleep, because you've been (laughs) at it all night long, and it's like the mind goes into the dream world, and I've had that happen to me when I'm sleep deprived, I know exactly what it's like, it's the most bizarre feeling, and I wasn't doing any running, it was just sleep deprivation, right? So I wonder if in these events, it really is just being so tired that your body is kind of halfway in sleep mode.
0: It is. It's like, I don't know, maybe some strange kind of interplay between the conscious and the unconscious and how it's drawing on certain memories and the visualization of the shapes of things, what they trigger inside.
2: What a strange place to go to. (laughs) (laughs) I think we got completely off track there, Anna-Marie, because I just think Mm. it's so fascinating how that happens. Uh, But that said... You finished the 2008 half Alta Trail de Mont Blanc as 124th female. And, yeah. And uh, <laughs> like you already mentioned, you felt like you were just barely keeping ahead of the, of the clock where they were going to say, oh, time's up, you got to stop, right?
0: Oh, it, it, it was. It was literally every single checkpoint. I was just literally, they were closing the checkpoint behind me. Mm. And it was just a case of right, just keep going, keep going, keep going. Um and I, yeah, I remember kind of coming there's the last bit where you basically do this big traverse along this beautiful balcony. And it was the the weather was absolutely stunning. And one of my um dad's friends had kind of come up to support me and he had this orange. And I remember him cutting the orange open and kind of feeding me segments for the last little bit and it just tasted like Oh, just absolute sheer heaven. Just just so refreshing. Mm. Um, and yeah, I remember kind of stumbling across the finish line, being utterly just thankful it was all over and putting my feet in the fountain. And it, I do find it quite an interesting contrast to how I performed like this year. And this year, I literally, I smiled the entire way around. I absolutely loved it. There's loads of pictures of me just kind of grinning even though the weather conditions were horrific. And I can touch on them in a minute. Whereas, you know, nine years ago, I think you've maybe got two photographs of me looking really quite grumpy. (laughs) Um, Though I think, you know, it's just a testament to the fact that how much, you know, I've developed as an athlete um, from a physical perspective and also from a mental perspective as well. Um, The training that I put into UTMB was from a time perspective it's been my main goal this year it's it's taken up a lot of time um but also for the research for the equipment testing things out getting my nutrition right getting my sleep right in the the lead up to the entire event whereas with the ccc i had my preparation was haphazard at best i wasn't working with a coach my nutrition i just didn't have a clue about. so I think it just kind of goes to show that when you put the preparation in and the planning and the time, actually, it makes the race sometimes far more enjoyable as well. Um, though it, it does show that, you know, it's I've not always been a top athlete. It's, you know, back nine years ago, I was scraping around at the back of the field, bringing up the rear. That's and still it a double marathon. That, you know, if I, well, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, if I can do it, then so can everybody else. Um, If you put your mind to it and you really focus on something and you put the work in that, you know, that's what it is about running. It's, you know, anyone can kind of go out there and do it and it can be so satisfying to, you know, you can run a little bit further, you can run a little bit faster. It's, you know, if you put the work in, then the results really pay off and anybody can do that.
2: Right. Well, and then doing the quadruple marathon version this year and finishing seventh, female, congratulations. That is amazing. But that just goes to show that you've learned an awful lot about this over the years.
0: Mm, and I'm sure I've still got an awful lot to learn as well.
1: <laughs> Time for a quick message break. So you know that this show is brought to you by Camp Crate, and you hear that name quite a bit, but you might not know exactly what it is. Basically, Camp Crate is the bridge between people who want to have a backpacking experience, but don't have gear and don't know where to start with planning. Um, they're extremely helpful. They'll rent you the gear and they ship it right to your front door. Uh, if you just have friends that are already going, but you just are tagging along, but you don't have your own stuff or you have gear, but really don't know where to go, uh, they can help you with all that. So go to campcrate.net or send them an email at support at their whole mission is that you get in the backcountry and you have an awesome time on a self-guided adventure. Back to the episode. Well, let's, let's translate that back
2: into life, into everyday mm. life. Um, what have you learned from ultra running and from training and, and learning to have that perseverance and that tenacity? What have you learned there that translates to people achieving their goals in life in general?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I always come back to the, a, a lot of it is based around the planning that I was talk, talked about before. It's, it's almost, if, if you kind of, you want something to happen, you have to focus your attention on it and give it the effort, give it the determination, make time for it. Um, it, it, I kind of always harken back to when I was in the army, my, um, my color sergeant always had the kind of the seven P's, which is, you know, prior preparation and planning prevents P, poor performance um so it, it, it is it's about what can you do before the race you know you want to be getting to the race do you want to go into that start line in the best possible condition that you possibly can so you need to start thinking about it way 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 beforehand and it's a completely holistic approach you know ultra running it's it's a lifestyle for me um and it, it, it's taking it back to basics. It is kind of like common sense. And a lot of the time it's things that we know, okay, we need to sleep well so our body can recover. How do I fuel it? So it's basically performing optimally. Um, and yes, a lot of the other times people kind of ask me about, okay, so what have you had to give up, um, you know, kind of going out and socializing? And yes, there is an element of, you know, the, the choices that I make, they support my running. You generally, I'm not out late partying and I don't drink very much. Um, though I liken it back to, I drank enough in my twenties and I had left night, late night nights to kind of last an entire lifetime. Though I kind of find that, you know, my friendship group shifts a little bit as well. A lot of people that I'm now friends with, they're, you know, within the ultra running adventure community as well. And we all have kind of shared, shared interests. So it's, it's almost a, what, what, what path does your life take? And I always draw lessons from kind of ultra running into business and it's as with any project. You know, if it's a race, whether it's a new business development project, um, whether it's working in a new partnership or new collaboration. Okay, so you know, what what is the goal? Where do I want to go? How do I want to achieve? What planning and preparation do I need to do? And it's having that mindset and the confidence as well, but often also the courage. It's the courage to kind of show up and, and be on that start line. And you know, linking it back to the UTMB. there was 2,537 people had the courage to stand on that start line. They'd done the preparation. And it's not easy to qualify just to get there. You have to do a certain number of races to get a certain number of points. You then go into a ballot. And often the first time you apply, the first year, you don't get a place. Um, so then it's OK. It's having that determination and perseverance to try again just because you didn't get through the first time. And, you know, these are life lessons that, OK, if you don't succeed the first time, try again if you kind of get knocked down or you get an injury or something doesn't kind of work out okay rehab it look after yourself and try again sometimes it can't be so easy in life and in ultra rain to kind of take the easy option you know particularly living in england the weather for example isn't great um you can look out the window and go oh it's raining again oh just not bother and you know once you kind of let one little thing slide then it's easier to let it slide again and again and again so it's it's ultimately, okay, it's a big event, but actually how you do is very much impacted by the little decisions that you make in life. And you can bring that back to, you know, if you wanted to lose a bit of weight. Well, it's like every decision, what do you put in your mouth? If you're kind of trying to save some money so you can save to travel, it's every little kind of thing that you want to be spending your money on. So it's kind of breaking it back to those in-the-moment decisions that you make.
2: mm bringing it all the way back home to the moment that you're in.
0: Mm. That's all you can control. (laughs) And it's almost, you know, it's about sometimes when you're looking at a big challenge like the UTMB or, you know, maybe starting a business or leaving your job, actually that can seem so big. And it's the future that you're maybe kind of generalizing about or catastrophizing about or, you know, making some far-fetched failure or I'm not good enough or something attached to it though you know you can't you can't control that that's in the future let the future be come back to the moment what can you do what can you think what can you do in this present moment and enjoy that
2: oh yeah you know I've said before but it's one of my favorite sayings is that a happy life is a sum of happy moments and you know, we we have a dream life out there that we think will bring great joy and happiness, but the reality is happiness is ours to have right now, in the present, this moment. And you'll never get that anywhere else. If you can't do it now, it's not going to happen later. So the the big goals and the big dreams give us something to motivate us to make better decisions, to take healthy actions, to be involved in things that lead us in in encouraging directions and encouraging relationships. I get all of that that you, you know, you, par- or you said in detail, I'm paraphrasing. But <laughs> what happens, Anna-Marie, when we actually reach the big goal and then we step to the other side of it?
0: Yeah. And, and it's almost a, a step to the other side. I think, as you know, for me, it just seems more, I know it's been like a bit of a hole almost, um having been so focused on something i I admit it's taken a bit of an adjustment and i think partly you know i i i I love having a journey and you know getting from a to b it's about having that action it's about getting there and actually it encouraged me to get out and explore parts of you know england and wales that i wouldn't probably have done without Mm. having this sure um So it is, it it almost is, it's a bit of a transition kind of in betweeny. Okay, so what next? And I have been asked that quite a few times over the last few weeks. And it's almost a, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't really know. And, you know, then the follow up question generally is, oh, so will you go back again next year? And I know that answer. (laughs) For me, next year, the UTMB is not, it's, it's, it's too soon. I think almost if you end up doing the same event a year and year and year and year in and out, you can maybe get caught in a, in a pattern. Um, does it border on obsession or, in know, on, on addiction? Um, how healthy is that? And for me, it, I don't want to get caught in that. I'm not saying that I'm never going to do the UTMB again. I, that's probably unlikely. Um, I'd love to go back and stand on the start line again, but not in 2018. There are other races out there that I'm kind of looking at at the moment. Um, and I'm hoping to, you know, continue with WA and w- go to some other races that are on the Ultra Trail World Tour, which the UTMB is part of. Um they're increasing their kind of race schedule as well and how they work with female athletes and the rankings that they have so i am looking very much at racing on a global level it just won't be at the utmb next year um though that's not to say that there's more places to visit and more races to do and you know bringing it back to your question about okay so then what you know what next and it's it's actually a let's just just stop just recover just relax and you know, spend some time doing other things. Um, you know, a, a lot of my weekends in the lead-up to the UTMB were spent training. And, you know, I thoroughly enjoyed that getting out. Though now, actually, it's time to kind of catch up and see family and friends, um, which are just as important. And, you know, sometimes when you become too race-focused, you can neglect them. So it's, it's definitely about time of kind of stopping and recovering. And your body needs that as well. And, you know, everyone has a different threshold of how much you know stress your body can take or your mind can take. And, you know, for me, racing, I put quite a lot of pressure on myself. So actually just being able to take my foot off the gas, just kind of relax, um, just rest. You know, I'm not training quite so much. There's a bit more time in the day. I can kind of focus on some creative work projects. Um which is just, you know, it's a it's a a different kind of a different balance, which mm. I think, I think is healthy.
2: Yeah, I get that. And, uh, you know, in, in your coaching business, when you're helping people to achieve their, their big dream goals, it's important to be able to tie that part back in too. is like, well, you don't want to sacrifice everything that matters in life to accomplish one thing. Right. Mm. And when you do accomplish your big goal, then take the time to celebrate it a little bit, enjoy life, and then plan your next big thing right
0: and that is so true like the celebration piece is essential so often we do just kind of roll on to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing and you don't appreciate that moment and and you know for me after the race my husband and i we went to the champagne region in france for a few days and clearly the champagne region is known for its champagne and i like champagne so we had a a good few days tasting champagne there, which was absolutely fabulous. And, you know, bringing it back to working with my clients when I'm in conversations with them and supporting their, you know, aspirations and their dreams, it's, it is very much, you know, well, how did you celebrate? What did you do? When did you make time for this? Who did you celebrate with? And it, oh, and it, it is, it's almost indicative of the culture that we live in. It's always that kind of constant more, more, next, next. And life isn't always about that. It it kind of comes back to what we were talking about, you know, living in the moment and enjoying the moment.
2: Mm, Yeah, finding that balance and using the big dreams to accomplish big things, but not allowing that to uh, push the rest of life to the side too much. Yeah, I like Mm. that. That's really good. Well, Anna Marie, you have learned so much from your ultra athlete lifestyle. I just, it's amazing, all of the accomplishments. And thank you so much for sharing with us a little bit of what that's like. Uh, but if people want to learn more from you and from your experiences, then how can they get in touch with you?
0: So I'm active on a variety of different social media platforms, and I love people to kind of come and say hi and and share what their thoughts are about um, ultra running and maybe what events that they're kind of looking forward to. And if anyone needs any support kind of training-wise or aspiration or goals-wise, you know, that's what I'm always here to help. Um, you can always email through my website, uh, which is rfmcoaching.com. On Twitter, it is at rfmcoaching, and it's the same on Instagram and Facebook as well. Um so it, it' i mean it's been really lovely hearing people's stories um since I finished like the u t m b um I have had people contacting me and just kinda of asking for like you know a little bit of support or maybe you know a little bit of kit advice and I find it absolutely you know phenomenal what people can do and then you know, they report back to me and I oh I, I beat my PB in this time and I've now entered this race and I'm thinking of doing that and it just shows what you kind of can do and you know we all need a little bit of support at times I very much you know my, my husband Ben um, is behind me all the way I've got you know I've got a coach and um, from a training perspective but also from a kind of a business perspective and we don't have to do everything life on our own and sometimes it can be a little bit daunting and scary to kind of ask for help. Um, though actually, it's all about partnerships and collaborations. And what can you kind of learn from other people? Because ultimately, we're all kind of standing on the shoulders of giants and people that have come before us. We, we were born as social creatures. So it's all about, you know, supporting and helping each other.
2: So again, it's a RFM coaching. And that is reach for more. And I'm looking at your website here while uh, we're visiting and you have a lot of information on here. There's a lot of neat stuff. So if you do want to reach for more, you want to learn more about this, then go to RFMcoaching.com. And that's where Anna Marie can be found. So cool.
0: I I do try to keep my website kind of fairly up to date. And I do blog on the ultra running side of things, but also just on coaching. And, you know, within the coaching world, what I love to do is to take people outdoors. So rather than having the coaching conversations, you know, inside, um, then I like to take my clients outside for a walk. I do feel that being within nature and having that kind of movement of walking, it just adds a different dimension um to the coaching conversation. And it's just so much more liberating and creative rather than kind of being stuck within four walls. Um Clearly, you know, I do have some clients who live overseas, and that's kind of not quite possible. Um, and it's more kind of virtual, though I do generally tend to sit with, as I am now, actually, looking out the window. So then at least I can kind of see the trees and the greenery.
2: You know, it seems that when we are outside and, and we have a little bit of movement involved, it sparks uh, new creativity. I found that. my mm. uh, Travis and I, you know, my co-host, Travis, um, he and I, from time to time, will do just that. We're trying to to solve what to do next with the business. And so it's like, Hey, let's go for a walk. You know, mm. it works. Walking,
0: walking meetings is, it's totally key. I'm doing a bit of research at the moment and so reaching out to other coaches who use the outdoor space. So if any of your listeners are working within that realm, I would love to hear from you. Um, I've got a kind of a short questionnaire and um, that kind of delves into that coaching outdoors. What benefits have you seen? And I'm just kind of like trying to pull a little bit of research together, ultimately to then encourage other coaches to operate within um, the outdoors environment as well. I mean, clearly there's been a bit of kind of academic research done within in it, but actually within the coaching profession, it's still quite a unique niche. And I'd love to support other coaches who are thinking of maybe trying it um, because it, I think it, it adds a different kind of dynamic to the relationship that you have with your clients. Um, And just, you know, rather than kind of sitting opposite each other, just that side by side, it's just the connections just deeper.
2: Yeah. Well, I'm afraid, Anna-Marie, that we're running out of time today, but I certainly enjoyed hearing about all of your endeavors and and especially more about the Ultra Trail de Mont Blanc. I, uh, I think that that is such an amazing race. What a beautiful place for a race. And congratulations on the amazing achievement seventh place. That's awesome.
0: Thank you so much. And if any of your runners, um, if any of your listeners are kind of looking at a, a future goal, kind of check check it out um, and see if it's something for the bucket list.
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. And for all of our listeners out there, thanks again for listening in to the adventure sports podcast. You know, maybe it's running for you. Maybe it's some other adventure sport. But whatever it is, make sure that you find it. You set a big goal and you, you pursue it. And if you'd like a little bit of encouragement along the way, then get in touch with Anna Marie. And so until the next show, make sure you do get out there and have some fun.
1: Hey, thank you so much for listening. If you know somebody that would make a good guest on the show, or if you have a pretty cool story about the outdoors or adventure sports that you want to tell us, please call us and leave a voicemail at 812-MAIL-POD. That is 812-624-5763. Uh, you can also send us an email at info at adventuresportspodcast.com. Uh, again, it is always helpful to leave us a review on iTunes. And if you'd like to be a supporter of the show... You can give 5 bucks a month at patreon.com slash Podcast, And links for all that stuff is also in the show notes. So thanks again for listening. And y'all get out there and do something so you can be on the show one day. All right, later. Also, don't forget, if you want to save 20% off the best backpacking food on planet Earth, go to peakrefuel.com and at checkout, use the code ASP20. We'll be